Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach. And in this episode, I wanted to kind of examine our political landscape as it is kind of in this moment, right? Last week, I'm sure no matter who you voted for, you were kind of glued to the TV, right? And and there's a lot that was kind of revealed through the election, you know, uh, if nothing else, there's a big divide in this nation in terms of ideology and so forth. And so I want to kind of unpack some of those things. Now, by no means am I a political expert. I'm simply asking questions. And what I would invite you to do is to search for your own answers. And by searching for answers, I don't mean just kind of watching someone else on YouTube as well, uh, especially people that just proclaim to have answers. You know, I think right now, I think I think a lot of it really comes down to we need to do some introspection before we can kind of really dictate what the right steps are. And part of that is like doing our own research into a lot of these things because there is a lot of misinformation. And I'm talking from just news in general. Um, the media that go, uh, is very biased. That goes for both left and right. And I really think... Um, you know, books and and things of that nature, like just, just stuff that isn't of the moment um, is a lot healthier to digest than stuff that's always constantly breaking news and this and that. Uh, because a lot of that stuff, you know, just sadly by the nature of the business that is news is sensationalized, right? That's uh, the whole point of news is to kind of get you to be hooked and and there's a methodology to it, you know. If if you read Ryan Holiday's "Trust Me, I'm Lying," it's a, it really breaks it down in terms of how it works, um, and that's something that has to be looked at. But but nonetheless, I just want to be very clear. I am I'm going to pose some things. I'm going to give my thoughts on things. But no means am I saying this is the path forward. This is the solution. I'm saying these are things to think about. Also, if you've been following me and things like that, you know kind of where my political stance is. And, you know, part of that is I don't, I hope you don't just dismiss it. I hope uh, if you, you know, I really hope you hear me out because I think we need to have more dialogues and things like that. Um, and I'm going to kind of talk about, you know, how I try to do that for myself as well. But right off the bat, an interesting kind of thought that that came into my mind even before the results were kind of coming, even before like Biden was announced on, on television as president-elect, was this idea like, do you just split the states? And it sounds, I don't know, it, it might sound like, wait, what? Split the states. But it's interesting to me how throughout human history, maps are constantly redrawn, right? They are. I mean, America didn't always have 50 states. So, you know, states got added and things like that. And certainly there was this, even within America, there was the Civil War that could have split the states apart. And so, you know, my question is, if if this tension does continue in the way that it is, do you just redraw the map and, and kind of do something different? And I don't exactly know what that looks like, but, you know, is that a solution um, in that way? Uh Certainly, it could offer a chance to be a lot more peaceful than a civil war. 
if, if tensions continue going the way that they are. I mean, the good news is we're not at civil war. Um, and I don't think quite as much as like there is this tension, this breaking point tension that, that feels like constantly there for a lot of us. I don't think we're quite there yet. But nonetheless, you know, when you look at like even more recently, like the Eastern Blocs, not that they were uh, able to avoid you know, full conflict. You certainly had the Bosnian War and things like that. But for the most part, it, it, was, a, it was a more peaceful transition than, than kind of, a, you know, a war, a straight out war. So, you know, and, and again, the, um, the, the Ottoman Empire, um, the Weimar Republic, um, you know, of, of Germany and things like that. Like, I mean, the fact that we had an East and West Germany, right? So, Territories are constantly redrawn in the world, um, have been throughout all of human history. And so it's like, you know, do you, do you kind of just do that just to dissipate the situation? I don't know. Um, that's a, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not saying that's the solution, but this is, the, it's an interesting notion. And I'm not the only one to have brought it up, you know, so I'm not claiming it as my own, but it is something that I do think about. Um, one of the things I go through this, uh, you know, as I said, these are kind of questions and things like that. So it might sound like I'm just jumping around and quite frankly, I am right. <laughs> you know, I have, uh, I don't necessarily have like an outline. I just have stuff that I want to talk about. Um, and so forgive me in that sense. Um, you know, this is, as I'm sure it is for you listening, all still very new, all still very fresh and things like that. And so, you know, we're all processing it, right? And so this is just my way of pointing the camera at myself, trying to have uh, a discussion moving forward. And I guess, you know, before I get to my points, I, I, let me kind of say, you know, the way I try to look at things, I, I you know, books to me hold a, a big, big, um, have big weight simply because there's a lot more thought and time and effort that goes into it versus like just an online article and certainly a tweet. Um, some people argue even like a physical newspaper is better than just watching the news simply because, you know, that has to go to print and then there's a little bit of, you know, editorialization and fact checking and so forth that goes into it rather than constantly breaking news and developing story. And, you know, it's almost like a Wikipedia article that gets constantly updated, right? At least in that point in time, there's you know, a cementing of, of, of ideas and thoughts and um, one would help facts, right? But, um, but books, you know, books do hold a tremendous weight to me and, and, and not just like books of the moment, um, books of history. Because I think, you know, it's that, it's that old adage, uh, if we don't learn our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And, and history provides you with patterns. It's never going to be a one-to-one scenario but but you can look to certain things and you can you can see patterns emerge and take away lessons and kind of you know do it in that sense and then you know for the most part i do you know when it does come to more news type stuff i do try to consume uh you know things things that are kind of in opposition of each other certainly kind of going into the election i knew who i was going to vote for but nonetheless, you know, I listened to Biden on, let's say, like Brene Brown's podcast and Pod Save America. And of course, those were going to be more softball questions. 
but I appreciate Biden's answer and the, and the thought, and, and it really gave me a window that I didn't see, you know, elsewhere, right? And that's one of the things I love about podcasts in general. And then I, I saw, um, you know, podcasters that I appreciate um, interview Trump. And I was like, okay, you know what? Let me, let me check this out. And, you know, I also sought out, um, you know, podcasts that, that, that I don't necessarily align with. But I was like, you know what? Let me give this a shot, right? Let me not try to live in my echo chamber. And so I, I did that as well. And, you know, the scary part kind of really about this is when you look at a movie like Social Dilemma, you know, as much as I may try to see the other side, it's it's very difficult because nonetheless, the, uh, the algorithm is going to cater to ultimately my my kind of unconscious desires and, and biases and so forth that you know, I'm not necessarily aware of. And so it's going to keep pointing me down in a direction. And, and, and I will admit, it becomes increasingly more difficult to find stuff that is in opposition of me. And, you know, it's almost kind of like, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of the work. And, and even then, it's like, is this, are the results that are being presented here truly, you know, uh, representative of, of, of a different ideology or because like, again, I'm, I'm not having to do the search myself and change up the keywords and stuff like that. So it's like, I don't even know necessarily what I'm looking for. And, and that to me is problematic. I will say, you know, one of the things that, that, um, I, I, I think solves a lot of this is we, we, um, we, we have to get our, our own, our own bubble and how you do that. There's a, Matthew McConaughey, in his book, Green Lights, he talks about being less impressed and more involved. And that's not to say that you need to be disrespectful by any means, but, but become involved, right? And, you know, I know a lot of people in my life, Democrats, uh, that were scared of what could happen on election night. You know, that Trump, that it would be like 2016 and Trump would win. And I said, well, okay. Rather than live in that fear, why don't you do something, right? And, and you know, phone bank, text bank, like talk to, you know, people and make sure they're registered to vote, that they know how to vote and, you know, talk to talk to people that uh, you wouldn't normally talk to and, and, and just kind of, you know, do what you can, right? I'm not saying it's the solution, but, but at least in that sense, um, you know, you can make an impact. And furthermore, this is how... To me, you get out of your own bubble. And listen, I'm not necessarily knocking people that, you know, are just like, I can't, I can't deal with the other side, so I'm going to unfriend them automatically. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But, you know, to me, like, I adopted the state of Florida. And so when you do phone banking and text banking, you start to kind of learn, um, you know, that, that people think differently than you. And... By that, I mean more specifically me, but also I mean you, right? And so that kind of, that, that, that's a good mirror to yourself, right? And to have those discussions and, and that engagement, it's not easy. And, you know, certainly most of the people that you talk to, you, <laughs> you don't make any strides, right? And I think that's a fallacy of activism is to think that you're going to have this sweeping change. You know, Stacey Abrams is getting a lot of attention and rightfully so she's amazing amazing incredible person however um you know 
the reason we're talking about her is because of the countless and grueling hours of just complete hard work that none of us see, right? And so in the case of like phone banking, you know, I, I, I know other people uh, like in my life that that signed up to adopt states, you know, and what you start to, what you're told very early on is, listen, if you can just get five people, 10 people tops, you know, like you don't have to go for this gigantic number of like thinking you need to like inspire thousands of people or get them to, you know, vote uh, a particular way. In my case, you know, obviously I was um, advocating for Biden and try to educate people of like, you know, Biden's policies and, and so forth, right? And why they should get excited to vote for Biden. Um, and yeah, you, you, you're not met with like, oh yeah, I love to, right? It's not like I'm calling my friends and being like, hey, you know, we have to vote for Biden. And they're like, no, totally. Yep. And then they, they start giving their reasons on why and so forth. So that's a good way to kind of get out of your own echo chamber. And, and not only that, but it also allows you to start fixing the problems that are there. You know, I think just aimlessly talking into social media and things like that just doesn't solve it necessarily. Uh, In fact, I know it doesn't. And, and it gets you out of your bubble. You know, I I remember talking to one of my friends and he was just so shocked of like that there wasn't this blue wave. And I was like, why why are you shocked? Um, And again, it's for this very reason we live in these echo chambers in the poll, uh, the, the, you know, the polls were telling us one thing and so forth. And that's a whole nother thing. I think the polls in general, like predictive statistics, as I'm going to kind of term it. Um, so not like, so, you know, there's a difference to me of like statistics, let's say like a baseball, uh, you know, in baseball, a batter's uh, batting average and things of that nature. Like that's, that to me at that point is fact, you know, like it's, it's happened, it's done, we can measure it. Um, obviously it's a, it's a sport. So, you know, the, the rules and things like that, you know, and the mechanisms, to be able to win are kind of, you know, uh, as, as, as they say in other aspects of business, key performance indicators are there, right? KPIs are, are kind of well known. If you have a good batting average, well, your team stands a better chance of winning, which is great, right? Now, you know, it would be, I still think even in those circumstances, it's a fallacy to use those, those statistics as predictors of the future, right? Just because someone has a, an amazing batting average doesn't mean they're going to keep it for the rest of their life. Anything can happen. And so when it when when we get into predictive statistics, that's where we fall into trouble, and people just kind of blame the polls. But it's like it's not just the polls. Um, you know, you can look at box office predictions and all kinds of other stuff. Of like, and I mean, Quibi. Like, listen, no one in their right mind would spend that amount of money without like thinking that they had the right evidence and predictive measurements to think that Quibi was going to work. It didn't, right? Um, and so. It's a, it's, a, it's a larger discussion, but I think predictive statistics in general are just kind of really bullshit. And the reason I, you know, summarized very quickly why I think that is, is because of the fact we don't know what we're searching for. And that speaks to my point about this idea. We, we have to kind of get out of our own echo chambers. And the only way we do that is by engaging with the other side or just, MP, you know, it doesn't have to be the other side, just, just people who aren't you. And this is why diversity is important in all aspects, you know, business and otherwise. So, you know, there, there's that kind of thing. Now, 
this is the part that I understand. And I, I, you know, especially saw it kind of the day after election night. You know, uh, I, a lot of, I'll be quite frank, Republicans that, that, you know, I saw on social media were like, you know what, it doesn't, like, let's all be friends. You know, it doesn't really matter who's president and things like that. Um, and I was just, a couple of things on that, right? You know, Republican, Democrat, at the end of the day, like this point, you know, applies to both. And it's the sense of, well, if it doesn't matter, then why do we fight so hard? You know, it does matter. It does. Now, I'm not discrediting the idea that, yes, at the end of the day, we must be Americans first and there must be unity. Like, please don't, please don't uh, uh, misinterpret what I'm saying, right? But nonetheless, you know, obviously elections do matter and elections have consequences. And, you know, speaking about seeing it for the other side, you know, the, the problem is by saying something like that, like it's, it's in a sense gaslighting. And I think a lot of the, the times, the problem, and, and I see this even inherent in, in what I do and how I approach things, it's in a, in a large way academic, right? Of like having these discussions and these debates, you know, um, it doesn't quite honestly affect my day-to-day life in that way. And because it doesn't, that's hard. And, and because I know for, for other people, it isn't academic. It is their fucking life. Sometimes quite literally a matter of life and death. And so to treat it as academic is very insidious and, and, and is a form of gaslighting. And that's why, you know, uh, unity and healing should not fall onto the oppressed it should fall on the oppressor. And that might sound controversial because of the implications and so forth that might be triggering, but it shouldn't. You know, people talk a lot about, or at least as I see it, uh, safe spaces and how there's no safe spaces anymore. And that's kind of bullshit. That's a limiting belief because let's be honest. White people, all of pretty much the world is a safe space. Always, you know, always has and, and still is. So to say that you don't have a safe space is bullshit, right? And, and, and in fact, by people feeling that way, right? White people feeling like there's no safe space. It is encouraging to me because it means the work is working. It means they are being confronted by these things. And the work is not easy. <laughs> it's really not easy for the oppressed. But let's also be honest, it's not easy for the oppressor. And, and so in that, like, this is where it gets difficult. Like, you know, I think there is a side where you do have to meet people where they are. And if you do want that shift, like to just constantly come at it of, of just head on, head on, you know, I I think there's a, there's a tug and pull, right? There's a time and a place to, to be bullheaded, but then there's a time to, and a place to pull back. Um, so people, you know, retain some of the information, open up their minds and things like that. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing, but, um, but it's, 
you know, as Simon Sinek talks about, it's a noble cause, it's a just cause, and it's a, it's a cause worth fighting for. Um, but I don't necessarily, you know, um, when when people look at, you know, oppressed people as like, oh, they're they're violent, they're this, and it's just it is just gaslighting, and is it's it's fucked up, you know. It is fucked up and it's just academic to talk about in that way because, you know, quite frankly, the oppressor has not been that position. And, you know, while I'm talking about it, the whole idea is not to, you know, at the end of the day, no one's saying, or I'm not going to say no one's saying, right? Um, I'm, I, don't, I don't ever want to talk in absolutes. But the ideal, certainly for me, is not that anyone's better or worse than the other. It's that we are all on the same level playing field. And, you know, ultimately what you do with that, you know, can be a meritocracy. Now, how we get there, that's uh, that's an interesting question. But, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is this idea that, that the Constitution is both a legally binding document as much as it is an ideal, right? I mean, we the people in order to form a more perfect union like well it's more perfect than perfect <laughs> first off but you, you get what i'm saying right and and i have this discussion a lot it, it, the idea that you know it's freedom of speech was put in there not so like we you or i can run our mouth but so we can have thoughtful intelligent discussions and make you know our country better right that was the spirit of which it was intended and you know, one of the things that that I dislike is this need to define everything. Meaning, I, I remember like when when I was in charge over at AfterBuzz, um, and I was training new hosts. One of the things I would say is this idea: like, hey, I'm going to give you the spirit of AfterBuzz. I'm going to give you a set of guidelines and principles, and and you know some rules, but you know. By this, I'm giving you kind of a path forward. You should not, I should not have to ultimately like tell you don't TP the building or something like that, right? You know, because I don't want to sit here and come up with every rule book there is, right? Um, and I, I kind of look at the Constitution in America in that way. Like, again, it is an ideal. And so it's something to be, that that we all strive for and for people to just kind of poke holes of like, well, you know, Bill Maher kind of talks about this. Um, He he calls it um, something akin to like Gus, meaning, you know, um, I've never actually seen the movie. At least I don't think I've seen this one. The more movie that, that I can kind of reference is like Air Bud, where, you know, they have a dog playing basketball and then all of a sudden, everyone's confused of like, wait, why is there a dog playing basketball? And then, you know, one team with the dog goes, well, it doesn't say in the rule book, you can't have a dog. And so, and, you know, fine, that's all well and good. You know, that's a kind of a fun family movie, right? But it becomes dangerous when this becomes life. And people are exposing the weaknesses of, of kind of America, you know? It's like, well, do we really have to define X, Y, and Z? Um, when in fact, like, it's just, you know, like, let's go with the spirit of which it was intended, right? 
Um, so, you know, and part of it, like, you know, you know, let's take guns, right? This is, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this, this might be a highly unpopular opinion for you, but, but consider this, right? You know, I think the, the, the point in some sense of the second amendment was so that way we could protect our families. You know, this was at a time when things were quite volatile, you know, I mean, the American revolution, but we, we were in a new territory and so forth. And, and also like, yeah, we, we th- there was the notion that like, if the government ever becomes too big, then we have a right to revolt type of thing. Noble, right? I'm not saying that's not, but you know, I think we can kind of look at and, and look at school shootings and, and all this other stuff as like, okay, well, can we agree that those are bad? And so like, there has to be, you know, the way something was intended, but then, you know, it, it goes kind of awry and out of bounds. You know, I, I also look at social media in this way, right? Social media is this, this, you know, this plethora of platforms and, you know, they didn't start off bad. And I'm not saying they are bad, but there are, you know, there was a good intention behind them uh, to connect, to converse and so forth. But, but there are bad aspects on all social media and, and we kind of have to, we can't ignore that. We have to fix it. So, you know, this is, this is what I think about, you know, the spirit of which something is intended. And sadly, unfortunately, I think one of the things is that's no longer going to have to be a thing. We're going to really have to write down a lot of this shit on paper being, uh, you know, jokingly, as I say, like in the after buzz days, like, no, you can't TP the building. It sucks. It's, you know, a lot of time is going to go into this kind of crap rather than like moving forward. And that's, you know, but, but it's going to be required, unfortunately. And I think one of the things that, that I also think about is this idea and then as Americans, we need to stop being against things and being for something. You know, in, in World War II, we were against the Nazis, then the Cold War, so we were against communism and all that. And then kind of in the 80s, we didn't have anyone really to fight. Not, not really. So then we started kind of turning on against each other, you know? And then we're here. You know, that's, of course, a, a, a very sweeping, broad generalization, and there's nuances. But, you know, why... Why be against something? Let's let's start being for something. And I mean that both for Republicans and Democrats. I really do. Uh, and one of the things, you know, be, speaking of being for something, I think, and by the way, I, you know, if you study history, when empires collapse, it's generally because the middle class collapsed. Right? You know, pure and simple, really. And I do think there is, some, like, all these things that I'm talking about. Like, I opened up talking about splitting up states. <laughs> Whoa, right? But if we take a step back, I really do believe if we have a strong, healthy middle class for all people, not just for white Americans, a lot of this shit dissipates. Because there's this fear of, like, oh, well, low-income housing, they're going to, you know, lower my, my um, property values and this and that. And it just, it, there's this fear... And again, we're, we're against things and, and we're just trying to desperately hold on to shit when it's like, you know what, if, if we just kind of go for an ideal, figure that out. I'm not saying it's easy. Like, listen, having <laughs> a thriving middle class is not easy and we're, we're going to certainly bump our heads and things like that. 
but I think it's we, we need to we need to at least have a starting position. And for me, that starting position is okay. Can we agree that we need a really strong middle class for all? And then a lot of these tensions, I do believe, start to dissipate. I really do. And again, for all, not just for white. Um, and you know, it just it, it down the line for everybody. But but really study kind of history. You know, I was talking I was talking with a friend of mine who is very well versed in history, and yeah, he, he kind of brought it up. He's you know he said yeah. It's the evidence is there that, you know, empire empires could survive if they had a strong middle class. But every time they don't, they fall. And in fact, it's interesting. Ray Dalio, who's um, just this incredible investor, even more so than like a Warren Buffett, really. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not saying that facetiously or just kind of, you know, farting in the wind with that sort of comment. Um, I'm. I mean that sincerely. And I'm excited because he has a book or he may have a book already kind of talking about this. And what I appreciate is, I mean, this is a guy that like eats, breathes, lives, you know, um, the economy, um, you know, psychology and things like that. And his and the way like his methodology goes about it um, is incredible. Um so yeah, you know, um, really, really study Ray Dalio. I've, I've talked about him, you know, on past episodes quite a lot. And um, I'm really just in awe because he really is more about the process. And for him, it's not about being right. It's, you know, he talks a lot about, you know, his company is all about the process and about diversity. And in fact, you know, they, they kind of hook each other up um, when in meetings and it'll kind of indicate when someone has something to say, but they're not saying it. And and talk about a safe space, right? Um, someone goes, hey, you're not saying something, so go ahead and say it. And the reason why I say safe space, because it is, an, 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 in fact, a true form of safe space, because they're like, no, really do say it. And and people do take that into account and of what's being said, because they want the best idea to win, not, um, you know, uh, having a personal grudge and so forth. So it's really fascinating. Like, I'm just scratching the surface of, like, how him and, and, and Bridgewater Associates, which is a company, really, you know, handles investments. And you kind of have to, like, you know, I mean, it's at times they're making like billions upon billions of dollars investments into like a single entity. And in that sense, they better get, get it fucking right. <laughs> Otherwise they're out, you know, and so forth, right? So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see this book of his, um, and I would encourage you to also check it out because I think there's, again, I have not read it, so full disclosure. And it, I mean, as I said, I don't even know if it's actually out in this moment, but I know I saw a post about it and kind of read what it was about. And I was like, oh yeah, this is this is exactly what I've been thinking about a lot. And so it'd be good to see, you know, someone who really deep dives that subject in through the lens that only he is able to give, you know, it's going to be exciting. Um. But yeah, and kind of now transitioning to a new thing. You know, one of the things that I can appreciate is, and I think we need to realize that activism is an, is an everyday thing, right? So it goes back to the idea of Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams didn't all of a sudden just because of this figure, she was doing it for, you know, all, all you know, day after day, you know, the, the day after she lost, boom, she, she committed and she went. And... 
and that's kind of really what's required. You know, it um, activism, and, and that doesn't mean like you're, you're constantly phone banking and things like that. But you know, uh, there's that adage that democracy must be fought for every single time, and I think that's also every single day. You know, democracy is an action. Democracy isn't you know just given. And in order to have a thriving democracy, everyone must participate. And this is the kind of the participation of it. And I think, you know, listen, without any discredit to Stacey Abrams or anybody else, you know, I think I, I think one of the things that, that upsets me is when, you know, people say, oh, you know, Georgia or Pennsylvania and um, Nevada, Arizona, or, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, like they're the, they're the ones that, that won, um, the, the election for Biden. And it's like, well, yes, they put him over the top, but let's be, you know, I, one of the things, and this, this applies to content creators as well. Like we can never alienate the base, like, you know, without, let's say like California, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, whatever, right. All these things, like, then you don't get to that number. Then it doesn't matter if you have a Pennsylvania, if you don't have all those other things. So all of those things work in tandem with each other. Um, and I think we really need to start to recognize, I mean, if 2020 has taught me nothing else, it's the interconnectivity of the world. And we have to recognize that. And, and in order for like Pennsylvania to stand a shot of putting Joe Biden over the top, other things need to happen, right? And so, you know, that's the aspect. And, 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 and it goes back to the idea be less in awe, be more involved. Don't be in awe of, you know, oh yeah, you know, it's great that Pennsylvania did this and whatever else or, you know, no, it's like, okay, well for me, I live in California, so I got to do my part in California as well um, because without that, then what the fuck's the point, right? The other things don't line up. And so, so that's what I think about. Um, the other kind of interesting thing to me is obviously there's there's a huge debate on the electoral college. You know, should it just be the popular vote, things like that. I personally think, uh, uh, yes, yes, it should. However, in in lieu of that, there's actually something called the National Popular Vote Agreement, and um, it's this notion that states can decide who to give their electoral votes to. Meaning, um, you know, right now, obviously, the state votes and so forth. And then it goes to the victor in that sense. A little bit more nuanced, perhaps, but, you know, the general gist. The national popular vote agreement is, you can, you know, would be this idea where a state can vote and be like, okay, we have, you know, X amount of electoral college, college um points and we're going to vote but regardless of what happens in our state we're going to all allocate our number to the popular vote so i think you know let's take georgia i'm doing this offhand i think they have 16 right so georgia regardless of you know how tight let's say georgia is you know biden's got the popular vote so georgia's 16 electoral college votes go to biden now, obviously, if all states adopted this, then it is just a pure popular vote. Um, but there is this notion, you know, yeah, may, maybe, you know, states can bring this up and, and get enough states on board um, to see this in action. Now, 
the initial gut, gut reaction might be, well, this just favors the Democrats. Not necessarily, right? Not necessarily. Uh, am I prepared to give more than that right now? No, I am not. But, um, but other people have spoken about this far smarter than me, um, that it doesn't just favor the Democrats. It really doesn't. Um, going on another tangent. Um, I won't say his name, but the kid, you know, in North Carolina who got elected, you know, into the, into the house. You know, he, what's interesting to me and, you know, listen, I don't knock him overall, but what I do knock him and, and by the way, this well, quick, quick tangent, um, but, I, but an important one, as hard as it may be, I really think we need to judge people based on their, on, on, on an action versus labeling them. And yes, there are people that, you know, will predominantly have more bad actions than good. But, but that doesn't necessarily make them inherently evil. And to think of them that way uh, only pigeonholes us because it offers no solution forward. Okay. So now back to um, the, 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 the House of Representatives um, winner from North Carolina. 25-year-old. His tweet, uh, you know, his first tweet after winning, cry hard libs. This is problematic (laughs) Uh, for the simple fact that he ran on on unifying, like having things be, you know, not be so divided. And so it's like you, you, you literally went against them. And, you know, that, that, we we it, it it sucks that the people we're electing, as I said, you know, um, have this idea that that we have to be against something versus for something. Now, yes, there are elected officials and so forth. We can have, have, hold them accountable. We vote for them and so forth. But at the end of the day, the ownership is on us on how we move about it. And you know, if 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 America stands a chance at unifying and healing, we as individuals, me and you as individuals have to do the work and it is work with a capital W. Um, so that just, that's, that's that. Um, the role of the Senate, it's interesting to me because historically the role of the Senate was to really slow things down and to deliberate and so forth. But it's interesting to me because we're no longer there, right? Again, the spirit of which it was intended. Like, that might have worked back then. But it was also intended to, like, you know, to me, um, act as a check and balance and things like that. But um, but also be representative of the people and, and the time. And the problem is, nowadays, everything is so lightning fast. So to move things slowly... Uh, in that sort of way, we have to alter that, right? We can't always, you know, we have to get with the time, so to speak. And, you know, a lot of people, primarily Republicans, talk about the government should be more run like a business. And so it's like, okay, well, if the government should be more run like a business, wouldn't you want uh, agile business? <laughs> you know, that can that can adapt to the 
changing dynamics of the world market? I don't know, just a thought. Um, I don't know how we do that. Um, but it's, yeah, I think, I, th- I think, you know, in some sense, the process of the Senate needs to get more with the times. I really do. Um, one thing that I learned um, very recently was a John, John Steinbeck quote. John Steinbeck being uh, the author of Grapes of Wrath. You know, when I was having this very academic and philosophical debate, again, as I said, truth be told, some of this stuff, you know, quite frankly, doesn't affect me on a day-to-day level, so I can't have those more academic discussions. But it isn't until we get to the root of it that that um, we have to understand that this affects people's lives, right? But nonetheless, you know, so the ironic thing now, I'm going to back, go back to talking about it in an academic sense. But hopefully, you know, if nothing else, like, I, I say all that because at the end of the day, I want you to take action, right? I don't want this interaction, this dialogue, and even though it's me speaking to you, to me it is still is a dialogue because you have the chance to respond in the comment section or hit me up on social media at Philsvitek and so forth. Um, but I don't want it to just be an academic thing. I want you to take some sort of action, right, based off of this. Um, and But John Steinbeck, you know, he once said that socialism never took root in America because the poor see themselves not as exploited proletariat, but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. And I thought that was a very interesting notion because it was a counter argument to my idea of building a middle, strong middle class. Because, you know, there's this notion that no one's ever going to accept that I should just be in the middle class. Like there's this, the American dream in some sense is great, but part of the insidious thing is then all of a sudden everyone thinks they can be a millionaire. It's like, you know, like mathematically it's just not possible, right? You can, if, um, you know, in order, like the 1% is the 1% because it is the 1%, right? Uh, now, should the 1% have billions upon billions of dollars? No, I think, you know, um, it needs to be, you know, the graph needs to be a little bit more <laughs> distributed. Um, but I thought this, this John Steinbeck quote was was an interesting notion. And, and one that I don't necessarily have an answer for, but I'm, I, I pose because I am curious as to your thoughts on that. You know, do, do you see that? You know, is, this, is, is there an unspoken aspect to American life where we all think like we can be millionaires? And I see evidence for it. I try to see evidence against it. But, but if I'm being honest at the moment, I, I probably do see a lot more evidence for it. Um, so I don't know. Two last things. Um, as I said, activism is a daily thing. Part of that activism, moving forward for me, I voted for Biden. Does that mean I'm going to agree with Biden on everything? Nope. But that is our democracy. The fact that we can hold our elected officials accountable, right? Hold their feet to the fire. And that doesn't make you unpatriotic. That doesn't make you un-American. It makes you a good citizen, right? I'm going to be supportive of Joe Biden, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be critical when required. And if I'm being honest, from my vantage point, 
I don't think the 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 elected Republicans, and perhaps to some extent, to and to what full extent, as far as like, you know, the American everyday people, Republicans, they didn't hold it, Trump's feet to the fire. Now listen, I'm going to say something quite controversial for the Democrats. I don't think, you know, I do think there are some aspects to Trump that probably were good. You know, if you listen to like CNN and MSNBC, you'll be hard pressed to find it. But I do think there probably are some good things that he's done, you know. Um, But it gets buried. And, you know, the problem I have is the other stuff that that is heinous that no one spoke about from within the party right and that that shouldn't be you know we can't just bite our tongue just because we it's our party i don't care first off i don't have a party i'm my own party i i i I am i am what's best for humanity party if you want to call me fucking anything and even then I I go against myself a lot of times. I contradict myself. You know, one day I'll think this, the other day I'll think that. I don't proclaim to know all the answers. All I can do is be as best as I can. Because at the end of the day, just like you, just like everyone else, we are human. But to not acknowledge that we are fallible and that, yeah, we might fuck up and that we, we do take missteps, that is the insidious thing. So we need to hold people accountable. And I plan on doing that. The other thing. The tax cuts of 2017. In them, I encourage you to read them. Starting in 2021, day one, January, taxes will go up. It's not Biden's fault. That's literally what what was written into that document back in 2017. And will continue to increase going into 20 until 2027 not for the rich but for everyday working people and the poor so the reason i want to say that is because i you know one thing i don't want is all of a sudden everyone being like come january 1st oh see uh, biden's in office now now everyone all of a sudden is paying higher taxes well first off he's not going to be in office on january 1st <laughs> right he's president elect until he gets inaugurated, um, which won't be on January 1st, okay? So don't think that. Um, and also, I just think it's something that we have to reverse. So, so these are my thoughts. Uh, you know, if, if you have differing thoughts and you listen all the way through, I do commend you. I really do. You know, I, I don't think it's easy, you know, almost 15 minutes to you know, to listen to something that you might hugely disagree with. But I applaud you. And I, I encourage you, invite you to, to give your perspective. I'm willing to listen as long as you're willing to, you know, be cordial or as cordial as you can be in spite of whatever anger you might have. Let's have this discussion. And this is a discussion that, as I said, I ultimately don't want to be academic. I want it to be for something want at the end of the discussion for action to take place um like i said at the top i don't proclaim to know the answers i'm no expert 
but I felt it was important to pose these questions and let you know what was on my mind. So take that for what it's worth.